to connect. What's going on, beautiful people of YouTube, Spotify, and everywhere this thing is available? My name is the Unimportant Canadian. Welcome to episode two of Fucking Lag. It is currently 12:50 a.m. I am. I've been awake since 4 a.m. I am switching my sleep schedule over for a night night shift, and I figured. The exhausted ramblings of a Canadian man about video games and shit like that is a perfect way to spend this night. Because i got to keep myself awake somehow. I haven't put out a podcast in a few weeks, so I think it's time for me to do that. Um, so yeah, it's it's going to be a fun time. Going from 4 a.m. until 6 p.m. until fucking 4 p.m. until 2 a.m. So it's going to be an interesting switch. I'm super tired. My body's fighting with me right now to go to sleep, but um, I'm going to persevere because that's how we do it. Anyway, uh, let's get into some Battlefield, shall we? Because everybody has their Battlefield experience, right? Everybody has been there. They have played it. Whether you started off in 1942 or Battlefield 1, doesn't matter. Everybody has their Battlefield experience. Everybody gets in there. They do something fucking badass. They show their friends if they record it. Or you try to do it again to recreate it and it and it just it's fucking awesome. It's an only in battlefield moment. And those were the days where everything was absolutely fan fucking tastic. Now I played Battlefield 1942. I love this shit out of that game. Played it at a buddy's house quite often. We loved it. It was super fun. We just screw around. We didn't really pay attention to what was happening in the game. We didn't have multiplayer at that point because, you know, dial up being out in the country didn't really work out all that well. But when 2142 came out, that was a whole different situation. We had DSL. We had broadband internet. We got a whole whopping like one megabyte a second or something like that. Anyway, it was enough for us to play online. So we did. And it was fun because we played like Carrier Assault, did some shit. And 2142 is a fantastic game. Severely underrated. And uh, seems to be the underdog in the Battlefield series. Not a lot of people have played it. Not a, pe- not a lot of people know it even exists. And uh, it's well, I don't know if it's worth playing now, but it's well, well worth checking out because it was kind of a, a, a dip into the futuristic and they did it quite well. Um, Battlefield Vietnam, one of my all-time favorites. Super fun game to play. Um, I don't think I ever played it online much. I tended, I, I tended to go more towards playing against bots and just because it was a fun time. And I've recently in the last five years or whatever re-downloaded it again and, and played it and it was a super fun time um but let's talk about more of the modern ones because battlefield 3 is what truly got me interested in the battlefield series it was just a whole new thing right their ad campaigns was absolutely fantastic going on about the battlefield experience and like you know only in battlefield you can do this because of course they were a massive competitor against call of duty at that time right there was a a severe um monopoly in the first person shooter genre that absolutely held call of duty at you know the top title right everyone was playing it even when the first one came out for the computer and the online was massively successful the game itself was successful it did extremely well and it was battling the likes of medal of honor at that time and then of course we're looking at 2010 medal of honor warfighter comes out it's an absolute fucking disaster nobody liked it or very few people liked it. I enjoyed the campaign. The multiplayer wasn't what I was looking for, but it didn't do very well. It flopped in, in terms of being good, and eventually the Medal of Honor series died, and Call of Duty was reigning supreme. So in wonderful, wonderful year of 2011, Battlefield 3 is released, 
and this game is absolutely fantastic. Right? There's some things that are wrong with it, of course. I mean, you've got things like the fucking sun flares. My god, those were just brutal. You look towards the sun and you couldn't see shit. Like, come on, man. You're a soldier. Put on some sunglasses. There needs to be a sunglasses button. Because the guy not facing the sun <laughs> that could see you through his scope, he had you every time. And you just, it was a rough moment. But other than that, and some of, I don't know, the atmosphere is really cool. I mean, it's, it's definitely a dated game now, but like back then, holy fuck. And I mean, it still looks good, but it was, it man, it was totally different. Yeah, like fucking Metro. That's where Metro first came in. First made its debut as the chaotic map as we all know it now through four I, I, in five, I don't know if they ever added it in one, but it was there in, in, in four and, and five as well. And gosh, great map. Absolutely fun. But like, there's so many really cool moments and really neat DLC for battlefield three. And, uh, I played the fuck out of it. It was just such a good game. It was so much fun. Anyway. Um, so battlefield three comes out, changes the genre completely. And now we are looking at top tier competitor for good old Call of Duty. And it's starting to get pretty big, right? It's starting to hit, it, it's hitting that spot. It's got those those big open maps, multiple entries and exits into certain ca uh, capture zones. You've got helicopters and tanks and jeeps and the ability to strap C4 to shit and blow up stuff and, and snipe across large distances, landing those thousand meter headshots, which are just, oh, God, those feel good. So good. Oh, it's so nice. Anyway. You've got that, and it's a fantastic feeling. People absolutely love it. Eat it up. Battlefield 3 becomes super successful. And now, of course, we got to look at, you know, Battlefield 4. That comes out. That's the next one you're looking at. I think it was 2014, 2013, something like that. I think, yeah, 2013. It, it releases. Super fun game. It's only a couple years after Battlefield 3. It's enough time. Everybody's eating it up. Really fun. We're starting to see it move over to the PS4. PS4 is brand fucking new at this point. Everybody's loving it. Everybody's wanting it. You know, Xbox One, PS4, PC, everybody's playing this game. Super fun, right? Battlefield 4 have the same kind of aesthetic as Battlefield 3. Futuristic in that sense. I mean, we've all played it. We all know. But for those of you who haven't played Battlefield 3, um, Battlefield 4, very similar. Um, kind of moved over a lot of the same maps from Battlefield 3 just to kind of you know, upgrade the, the, the frostbite engine a little bit, give us a little bit more of a preview towards what Battlefield's working towards as far as Levolution was concerned with maps like Parasol Storm. We're halfway through. Shit just gets crazy. It's a massive storm. You can't see very well. Driving boats is damn near impossible now, so the water's not as dangerous. So, you know, going near the shore to try to make a push-up isn't as bad anymore because you don't have that fucking boat asshole that just sits in it the whole game shooting your ass up while you're trying to make a flank. Like, it was just a oh, super fun time. We're seeing this, and this is this new thing. It's fucking cool. And then Battlefield Hardline comes out. Ah, that was a rough one. That was, ooh, that was definitely a rough game. Shitty Battlefield game, absolutely great first-person shooter. It was super fun. You know, giving you that cops and robbers feel. That's, a, you know, more of the modern feel uh, with some of the more, new, you know, the newer guns. You got some definitely some interesting stuff. Some stuff crossed over, but you're more looking at police line work and, and stuff like that. So you had some just interesting gadgets and things to screw around with. Really fun game. Didn't put as much time into it as I did four or three for that matter, but I still put time into it. Still enjoyed it. I probably wouldn't touch it again, <laughs> but uh, it was good. And then, and then of course, we get that fucking badass 
Seven Nation Army remix for Battlefield 1. And we're looking at an era that's never been touched in, in, in this way, right? In, for fucking World War One, And we've got it in Battlefield. Now, this was a risky move because it could have done a lot of things. Could have tanked the company, but instead it bolstered it. It did a really damn good job. Now, mind you, a few things were changed that weren't really welcoming to the community, like the fact that vehicles didn't just spawn anymore. You couldn't just steal a tank if you happened to accidentally spawn at the U.S. thing. You actually had to sit and wait and, and transfer yourself into a vehicle, something that they kind of moved over from Battlefront. And it wasn't something that people really liked. And I still don't like it. I still think it's a shitty implementation. But anyway, that doesn't matter. Game itself is absolutely fucking fantastic. It's beautiful. Super fun to play. You've got a bajillion and a half different weapons, including those of the experimental weapons of the time. Trying to find a new semi-automatic rifle that would work. Something that would just do better in trench warfare. Where you could jump on a trench and clean it up, right? Talking fucking shooting Germans like crazy. Good to go, or... Vice versa, right? First implementation of what we know as now as light machine guns. Now, they're not super light, but they're enough one man can carry, reload, and fire it. Such as the Lewis gun, which we all have come to love. Right? This is a World War One thing. Fucking super cool. Super fun time, right? Everything's different. It's new. It's a whole new feel. We're going back in time. Fuck World War Two, baby. We're going World War One. So it does really well. Super fun time, right? Bayonet charging everybody. Those old ass tanks. The Mark IV females. Fucking super fun to screw around with this stuff, right? Biplanes the whole bit. Different theaters of war in a different era. It made for a good battlefield game. And then we get probably the worst fucking battlefield trailer of all time. That just confused the hell out of everybody. Are we bad? Are we good? Are we fighting the Germans? The British? Who owns that tank that's running through that building trying to squish the British? Because it looks like a Churchill, which is a British tank, but what are we doing here? Oh my god, it's a female. Why is there a female in this game? This is the Second World War. Not to be misogynistic here, but, but she should be fucking... She should be a nurse. And she's got a fake arm. What the hell is she doing in combat with a fake arm? She should be home. All of this, just super confusing. Right? Because Battlefield 1, we gotta talk about a little bit of controversy behind it. Of course, we got the... The feminist movement making a, a very big, large jump into video games and so on and so forth. Trying to make everything equal. And that includes screwing around with history. And I did a video on this a long, long, long time ago on a completely different channel. If you happen to find it, congratulations. If not, yeah, I'm not telling you. <laughs> anyway, I did research on it, right? Because they were talking about how females weren't represented in the First World War, right? Like, they're not being represented in here. They fought in combat roles. And that wasn't the case. There was one specific YouTube channel called The No, and they weren't very smart, so I don't know why they call themselves The No, but they were talking about the combat roles that a lot of females found in the First World War. There wasn't any. There, Well, that's a lie. There was one, and it was a Russian regiment of 5,000 females that were around for about a year and a bit. And what happened was about 75% of the uh, casualties sustained by this battalion ended up wiping most of them out, and the rest of them were just disbanded and brought back into civilian service not to say they weren't effective they were they did quite well actually they were more used as a kind of a scare tactic kind of thing so whoever the russians were fighting they were basically wanting to intimidate them by sending their females to be like hey look our females are taking on your males we're fucking better than you back down 
didn't do what they wanted it to do, but they were still effective fighting force. But you're looking at, you know, a massive fucking wipeout of 5,000 females. So they decided to disband it and moved on. We didn't really start seeing females fighting in any sort of combat roles until modern day. It was very rare we'd see a female in a combat role. And at this point in time, Dice and EA are attempting to keep their game as historically accurate as possible. Sure, it may not be this great thing, and it may not help out a lot of fucking feminist people for their video games, but it's a historical video game. And demographics show 90% of people that were playing Battlefield at that time, well, Battlefield, this is before Battlefield 1 had released, 90% of people playing their game were male that means 10 percent were female so you're only adding this in and doing extra work in an unhistorical manner for 10 percent of your player base so for them it didn't make any sense and in the historical context it didn't make any sense it wasn't that it was a misogynistic move it wasn't to sit there and say females didn't do anything but the fact of the matter is, especially in the 19, early 1900s, females had very important support roles, such as nursing or even delivery driving, making sure that ammunition is brought to the front for the boys or food or mail, right? There were really interesting roles for these people. It was a completely different time. But we move on to the now confusing Battlefield 5 that decided to bow down to the, you know, the fucking people of the internet and everybody bitching about them not being, you know, females not being represented in a time in history where they weren't represented. And we already have games like Wolfenstein that takes an alternate reality of Nazi Germany and puts females in combat roles and does things like that. It's not to say that we don't have these amazing female characters, these strong female characters. I mean, everybody's played Tomb Raider. And that's the whole thing. It's fucking fantastic. But then we hear the argument. Oh, my God. They're fucking just, you know, sex idols and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, Laura Croft's fucking hot. But, like, have you seen Nathan Drake? Like, come on. Get over yourself, Okay. Have you seen Joel from The Last of Us? That man may be scruffy and he may not have showered for a while, but like I'd let him cuddle me. You know what I mean? So that's the thing. We're seeing some equal representation as far as strong female leads. Aloy, right? Horizon Zero Dawn. She may not be the brightest, but that's that's her background. She's fucking new to this whole thing. It's all crazy to her, right? Anyway, doesn't matter. Moving on. So Battlefield 5, Dyson EA bow down to the feminists in their movement and they put females in the game. This pisses people off. Why it pisses people off? Uh, because Battlefield was sitting there and tweeting out that this was going to be their most historically accurate game ever. They were very wrong and they fucked up a lot of shit. They fucked up a lot of shit. And I'm going to talk about the campaign for a bit because the campaign was okay. But the one part about the campaign, and I, I wouldn't even say okay. Some of the stories were kind of dumb. It didn't do a good representation for certain things. So the first mission where you're playing fucking Billy Bridges or whatever the fuck his name was, where you're going to blow up the airfield in Africa, right? That was supposed to be the commando unit. Now, the thing about the commandos is, is a lot of people think that the British commandos were, you know, created by a, a group of hoodlums and, and, you know, people that were thrown in prison. This wasn't the case. It did happen sometimes, but a lot of the people within the commandos were intellectuals. They didn't want to follow any sort of uniform code. They didn't want to line up and stand at ease and stand at attention and take direct orders from someone. They wanted to be treated as equals to their leadership. They would listen to them. They would do as they were told as far as, you know, orders and stuff were concerned. They just weren't the traditional soldier. But these people were very, very smart. Talking engineers and doctors and things like that that wanted to volunteer but didn't want to be part of the normal military. And it worked out extremely well. Um... Uh, 
thing that you should search up if you're interested in it is the raid on St. Nazir. Absolutely phenomenal. Super cool story. Really interesting. First time the commandos were used and effectively kind of a, a little bit of a cliffhanger ending. That uh, It's a good story. So go out there and read it. But anyway, we're back on topic here. So we get a really bad representation of the British commandos for your first mission. Then your second mission, you're looking at what? Two females in Norway trying to deal with heavy water establishments. No, you have to keep in mind, Nazi Germany took over Norway. They absolutely occupied it. They had it in their hands. And these heavy water facilities were extremely well guarded. You can't just wander in as two females with no military training and just expect to do something. Not to mention, this did happen. The heavy water facilities were absolutely destroyed. And this is where the real British commando story should have come in because... The, the heavy water facility that they're trying to reference in this campaign was actually destroyed, but it was by a British commando regiment. And the cool part on top of it is not a single commando lost their life that day. There was not a single wounded. They were in, blew it the fuck up and out quietly. No, no one got caught, no firefights, no issues, in and out, super quiet, and they got the job done. And the commandos took credit for that. But instead of being quote-unquote realistic, Dyson EA decided to throw female roles into this fucking thing and made a disaster of that campaign. The only campaign in Battlefield Five that I thought was well worth it was The Last Tiger because it showed what fascism does to people and it gave an idea of what people were like in Nazi Germany during this time. And I think it's kind of, it's, it's, a, it's an angle that we don't really think of, especially because we just think at that point in time, all Germans were evil because this is just what was going on. But you got to think about it. Nazi Germany became a thing in the 30s, right? Hitler took power in 1933, at least to some extent. And we're starting to see a man who's putting into socialistic ideologies during a fucking social, you know, or, or an economic crisis, right? We're looking at the Great Depression. Nobody's making money. Everything's falling apart. It's a disaster. It's a really rough time to be alive. And this man comes in and makes this country prosperous. Everybody followed him. And that was a big thing. They were brainwashed a lot of the time. The media would cut out certain things. They wouldn't let the public know certain things. The public would, you know, do their own thing. And they didn't care because they were happy, right? Would they rather be living like they were a few years prior or the, where they're living now without any worry of anything? And they chose the latter, obviously. But the whole thing is, is that the military, that was basically part of it, right? You fucking, Hitler is your man. You're the one that talks to him. You go to him. He's your dude. You fucking basically pray to him. He's your deity, right? He's the man that made it all happen. What the last tiger does is it, it kind of goes to show because Germany thought themselves to be indestructible during the Second World War, that nothing would ever happen. Mind you, news of the Allies getting closer and closer was completely disregarded from the public, so everyone was safely in their homes in Berlin doing the same thing they were doing since 1938, and they didn't know that the Russians... Americans, British, and Canadians were just outside of the city ready to push in any day now. So for these people, they were very lost and confused. And especially as troops started gathering more closer and closer to Berlin, we're starting to see a lot of the higher-ups in the Nazi party start to panic, right? The Allies are getting closer. They know of our atrocities. They've found these camps. They know what's going on. We're going to be fucked. 
So they start ordering everyone from small children to old men to pick up arms, to fight the allies, to do what they can. And it started getting people to realize what exactly was happening here. They were being lied to. They were being manipulated. This was all just a ruse. So they, a lot of people threw down arms. They went against it. And well, if you were a German civilian encountering a Russian, wasn't a really good time. You had a better, better time trying to go to the other side. Eastern Front, not so good. Western Front, a bit better. Not by much, but a bit better. Now, the whole thing is, is what this campaign shows is it shows a, a young, influenced um, a tank driver who's, who's very eager to serve Hitler and serve Nazi Germany. He is Nazi through and through. And then we have a tank commander who is starting to second-guess his faith within his country and faith within the regime he serves for, right? The Third Reich is starting to fall apart. The Reich that was supposed to last a thousand years and bring, you know, great things to stuff. So you start to see people second guess one another. You're starting to see people being forced to do things, being hanged in the streets. It does a really good job. Besides the um, Sherman Calliope scenes shit in the fucking town square where you're fighting rocket potted fucking Shermans, those did exist, not in high numbers. There were probably more in that scene than were actually created, but that's not the point. The point is, is that you actually get this version of history and this perception of what people were starting to think like in, in both cases, one super eager to serve his country and the other one starting to dwindle on his feelings in his country. And I think this is genuinely the only campaign that made me think something. The rest of it was just horseshit. And I'm glad they took at least a little longer to get the last tiger up. Because, once again, this is Battlefield 5 we're talking about. But, you know, little history lessons in between. Anyway, so to move on. Battlefield 5 release is half finished, right? We've got four out of five campaigns available. We don't even have a practice range. There's a, a Battle Royale mode coming that's been teased. But we won't see that for another year. We won't see the practice range for another month. And we definitely won't see the last fucking... Um, part of the campaign until about three months down the road. So we're basically given an early access title that we've spent $80 on or 60 for you American people. And you're not getting what you paid for. You're getting a half baked game that's slowly releasing bits for it. This wasn't, you know, they decided to label it as a live service video game. And that's the problem with live service. You don't know what you're going to get. Now, the whole thing with battlefield five was the online multiplayer was, you know, half decent to, be completely honest with you the animations were nice the gun and firing sounds were nice the atmosphere was nice but the game got extremely boring we're sick and tired of the old days we spent a lot of our time especially us 30 something years old are are spending we've spent a lot of time playing world war ii video games right we grew up with world war ii video games from medal of honor to call of duty to you know fucking whatever you can name it it's there right world war ii took over everything it was a massive part of video game history because it was such a big thing that happened that it was easy to try to adapt a game around it well we're going to throw people into these iconic battles because you know their dads are talking about it and yeah that was my whole thing i loved playing d-day in medal of honor frontline i thought it was cool to be a part of that history i learned things from that game that i would later research and realize they got that fairly accurate that's pretty cool you know that's that's neat to see and then we start to go into a World War II video game now where we've got people younger than I am who are attempting to do this research and just either fucking it up or just not trying, 
We're looking at guns that are were available in Battlefield 1 that have just been asset flipped into Battlefield 5 because they just rushed this game for whatever reason. The Ribby Rolls 1918 was a gun that, yeah, made sense to be put into Battlefield 1. It was created at the end of the war. It was a definitely neat kind of automatic rifle looking thing. But the reality is only ever one of them was made and it never saw production or service. It was a prototype build and it worked functionally and it fired a few rounds. But after that, it's just been in a museum the entire time. Why do we need that in a World War II setting, right? We've got things like the M1 Grand that didn't see an appearance until two years after the game had been released when they finally added the Pacific campaign in there. So we've got the American and Japanese with their iconic weapons, the Arasaka, the Type 99, the, you know, Madsen looking type. But then we're seeing all of these resurgence of World War One guns that weren't really used. Like, sure, Lewis guns were still a thing, but it had been in, it had been replaced by the Bren gun, which was a much better, sure, a little bit more expensive to make, but a much better light machine gun for the British and well, British and Commonwealth countries such as Canada and Australia. It worked extremely well. It was extremely accurate and it did well. We didn't see the Lewis gun in active service anymore. Sure, they were put on airplanes because that worked, but even those were replaced with the Vickers VGO or that they have in game. <laughs> like that's kind of a cool iconic weapon, but there's a lot of things I can think of like the DP 28 from Russia that never saw an appearance and it hasn't really seen much of appearance in video games at all. It's a really interesting light machine gun with a pan uh, for a, you know, a pan magazine on the very top of it, similar to that of the Lewis gun been around for a long time, but it was iconic for that era of that part of the world. It was a really cool thing. We didn't see a PPSH 41 or 42 enter anything, right? We, we could have had these really interesting Russian weapons like the Mosin Nagant. Yes, we saw that in World War in the First World War or Battlefield 1 because it was available in the First World War, but we saw that move over. We had the SVT 40, which was a semi-automatic rifle firing the exact same round as the Mosin that was available in Russia at that time. And they were mass producing those. Like you can still buy them today in Canada. Like they're seriously, they were mass produced. It's a crazy cool gun. They're stupid heavy, but they were accurate as fucking punched hard. Why wasn't that involved in the game? Why didn't we see any of this stuff? Why didn't we see a Tokarev T-33 pistol? And I understand I'm going for Russia, but Russia was a massive part of the Second World War. That's the thing we don't really understand is the fact that the Eastern Front was fucking massive. It took a really long time to fight that fucking part of the war. It took ages. It was fucking crazy, right? The Germans thought they'd just march right in during Operation Barbosa, which unfortunately was delayed by a few months, which really fucked them when they hit the Russian winter and didn't know what to do about it. The Russians sure as shit did. And it turned into a shit show. It's a shitty time. But anyway, we're looking at a bunch of iconic weapons, even some different prototype weapons that really never saw the light of day that could have absolutely been included in Battlefield 5, and we didn't see that. Instead, we've got the M1917, which was very rarely used during the First World War, completely scrapped because the Thompson came out, and that was better. Right? We're seeing three different instances of the MP38, we don't need that. It's the same gun, just three different generations of it, which was eventually replaced by the MP40 because it was easier to manufacture. Considering the MP34 had a lot of wood furniture with very little metal, it was harder to manufacture because you needed to manufacture the wood every time. Whereas the MP40 was simple because the machine parts were easy to do in mass bulk 
and the rest of the body and handle and everything was just stamped sheet metal. So we're looking at, you know, a lot of these different things that just didn't make sense within Battlefield 5. And it's not to say that I hated the game because of these things, but when you're describing your game as the most historically accurate one, ac accurate one yet, and you do that, kind of pisses me off. It's simple research. That's all it is. Doing a simple, interesting gun research on Wikipedia for 20 minutes will gather you way more options than half of the World War I thing, things you threw in. Sure, different nations did use stuff from the First World War. That was just what it was. France was absolutely one of them, still using the Lobel rifle at that point in time. After World War II moving, or no, maybe it was the Mass 34. But anyway, it doesn't matter. There's still factions in second world war that were using first world war stuff but the thing was is that that experimentation and those weird fucking guns that we had during that time had been scrapped because we had better technology we moved from bolt action rifles and putting them onto poles and trenches to semi-automatic self-loading rifles that were commonly given out to the everyday private soldier like things changed and you didn't really reflect that very well. Not to mention, we still had the shitty vehicle transition system. We had maps that weren't as large as they should have been, and they didn't feel as fleshed out as they should have been. And we saw, you know, some interesting different places to fight in for sure, but we didn't see a mass number of different factions. We saw a lot of remade maps like Iwo Jima and Wake Island make a return from 1942, and as much as that's a nice little throwback, it still would have been really nice to see original content thrown in. There was a bunch of different battles that took place during the Pacific campaign in places like, I don't know, Tarawa, uh, Peleliu, stuff like that, that would have been really neat to see in the game. Now, I might be wrong. There may be a couple maps that are similar to that or even named that. But to see, you know, Iwo Jima in Midway make another return is just, you know, something that just, yeah, I'm done with it. I'm sick of it. <laughs> I want to see new stuff. I'm sick of recycled stuff, right? We had... Modern Warfare release, and the only good maps that it really came with were the recycled ones from old Modern Warfares that got brought back into the fray. We're seeing the exact same thing with, like, Black Ops Cold War, right? It, and it's just, it's almost like we're running out of originality in this stuff. But, but with that all being said, and seeing the big flop that Battlefield Five was, knowing EA and DICE had absolutely bit the bullet on that one, and canceling all future content as of la uh, 2019, we knew something was absolutely in the works. We weren't quite sure what it was. We weren't sure what era it would be in. We weren't quite sure what was going on. But I'm very happy to say that I think Dice and EA this time did good. They decided that they said, fuck it. And they absolutely went <laughs> back to modern way, modern day. And we're seeing Battlefield 2042 release in October of 2021. And I'm super excited for it because that's going to be such a cool game. The way they marketed it was absolutely perfect. It was for the Battlefield fan that had played things like Battlefield 3 and 4 and done stupid things and, and went in and, and did it, right? And a lot of people were like, oh, this is over the top. This is crazy, blah, blah, blah. We don't want that. It's like, yeah, we absolutely do. How many stupid things did you try to do? This is just, you know, doubling down on that factor, this Battlefield moment factor, which I really enjoy. We're finally back to the days of the campaign of you know, only in Battlefield. And it's true. You're only going to get these moments in a Battlefield game. Sure, having unlimited parachutes is not fucking realistic, but it adds to the game and gives you a sense of things to do that are very interesting, right? We're seeing some of the gameplay footage with some, some um, 
different vehicles dropping in from the sky and just watching some of it happen, different helicopters crashing into one another, being able to strap C4 to, you know, quads and launch it off of a building into a helicopter. Is this shit ridiculous? Yes. Is it realistic? Absolutely fucking not. But is it going to be a good time? Fucking rates it will be. And you know that as well as I do. It's because I heard some complaints about this and it just doesn't make any sense to me. I think this is an absolutely wonderful marketing campaign. I'm super stoked to see what they're going to do with it. Now, mind you, I am going to stay a little weary because of the Battlefield 5 thing. Obviously, I think it's all left a little bit of a bad taste in our mouth. We're looking at this a little hesitantly. You know, hey, is this actually going to be worth my money? Are they actually doing anything, you know, to better improve the Battlefield experience? Is this really something I want? And that really depends, right? Depends who you are as a person. And eventually... We're going to finally get another Battlefield game that's that's well worth it. And I'm pretty sure we're now at that time because it looks really good. Now, mind you, we'll keep updated because, of course, we're going to be seeing more stuff in the next, I think, couple days, if I remember correctly. I think it was the 7th of July that we're going to be releasing more gameplay content just to kind of give us a better idea of what's involved. I imagine we're going to see some stuff like spawning and uh, the use of weapons and kind of squad tactics and things like that. Kind of the more fleshed out UI features and seeing some of the the combat and how it works. Um, that'll be nice to see. And I'm, I'm pretty excited for that. But, you know, stay a little weary. It's perfectly fine. This is kind of how it is. But anyway, that's my rant on Battlefield done. <laughs> so sorry for the little history lesson in between. But, you know, it gets me going. Anyway, we're going to be moving on to um, something that I've wanted to talk about for a, about a week now. I read it on Twitter, and I know Twitter is a bad place to try to learn stuff from, but I did a little bit of research into this, and by a little bit, I mean not much, but enough that I have a basic understanding of it. So what's happened right now, and some people are complaining about, is um, indie developers, right? So stuff like games like we play, like uh, the... Um, Binding of Isaac and, you know, Shovel Knight, things like that, right? These indie developers, uh, not these ones in particular, I'm just saying as an example of an independent game. Um, a lot of indie developers now on Steam are bitching about the reviews uh, and the review system, and they want it unimplemented and, and basically shot. <laughs> they want it killed. And the reason why is because they're getting review bombed, and it does not do well as far as stuff's concerned. Now, the whole thing is, is that, sure, you may get the odd person that memes it and puts, you know, a thumbs down or whatever. The whole thing is, is that a lot of the time you have to understand, you probably have a bad game. Just because you think it's good, because you got to think about it, right? You know, this girl and, and, and her husband have this baby, and they're both fuck-ass ugly, and the baby comes F up fuck-ass ugly, and we know it's fuck-ass ugly, Right? Now, I know this doesn't tie into reviews, but the whole thing is, is that I know it's fuck-ass ugly. The person to my right knows it's fuck-ass ugly, but to those two parents, that is the most beautiful goddamn thing in the world. And that's how developers view their video games. Because they're putting a lot of time and effort and money into these projects. And they have this idea in their head they're trying to flush out and make real. And they're trying their damnedest. And then when they think, sit there and they think, hey, I've got a product that I'd love to show people and they throw it out there and it doesn't do well, it destroys them. Because imagine being the parents of the fuck-ass ugly baby and someone comes up to you and goes, hey, your baby sucks and it's ugly as fuck and then just walks away. Like, <laughs> that's basically what reviews are. 
but the thing is, is that people don't make babies to have them reviewed. <laughs> I guess. But people do make games, and reviews are a massive part of games. They're a huge part. They're actually a ma such a big part to the fact where games journalism itself is such shit that nobody even views that stuff anymore. Right? We're looking at reviews on YouTube or reviews on Steam because there's been a few games that looked interesting to me, but screenshots can only do so much. When a game's actually playing on a com someone's computer and it's buggy as fuck and whatever else, right? And there's a lot of people that I find... You have to understand, right? When you're reading reviews, look at the time they have played, right? It shows you right below their name, right? So there's people that will write a review at, you know, 10 hours in and say, hey, this game fucking sucks. And then you look and it says, you know, they have 5,000 hours in the game and in brackets, 10 hours at time at review. All right. So obviously it wasn't that bad. So I'm not going to believe that guy. I'm going to move on, right? Because there are people that will genuinely go back to a game and be like, hey, this is really good, so on and so forth. Um, but the whole thing about early access, because this is the thing with indie developers, they're putting their stuff on early access, and they're almost pretending like it's a GoFundMe campaign, right? Where us gamers go to them and go, hey, we're going to like back your product. And that's not what it is. We're paying for what the product is at this point. We still get a copy of it when it's at full release, we're just paying a cheaper price to give you our feedback and for you to understand. Now, as a developer, I could understand being upset with someone who just thumbs it down and just says something stupid in the comment section like, no. But to get mad at people who are genuinely giving feedback, which was kind of happening. That's what I was reading. It was sort of happening. People were getting upset. And I don't know any what specific studio or what's going on. I don't know if it's a collection of them or what the case is, but... Um, it was something that was just happening, and I was just like, this is fucking retarded. <laughs> you guys are dumb. So I'm just going to explain why they're dumb. Um, anyway, when when someone puts a thumbs down and they're like, hey, this is a, what's about your game. Like, these are some of the good parts about it. I enjoy the way it looks. I enjoy some of the way it plays. But the gameplay loop's really fucking boring. Your trees suck. I keep falling through the world. Like, there's all of the list of bugs and problems. You need to address that as a developer. You need to understand that that's something you need to fix. You can't sell someone a broken product. But my thing is, is that we see developers treat early access program like a GoFundMe page, thinking that they're going to get a stream of revenue and then put it back into the game. The problem is, is they don't have a solid foundation of a game first to give people in order for them to, uh, um, um, like, you know, build on top of it. Like, we'll use it as like a house, right? You build a nice strong foundation, right? We know that's going to work. The people are going to come in and we'll help you. We'll help you build that house. It'll get done faster. But it'll be what you want. It'll be what we want, too, because we're going to live in that house with you. But you took care of the foundation. We appreciate that. But we're going to pull our resources together to help you out with the rest of the house. And that's how you have to view it. Because that's all early access is there for. When I buy an early access game, I expect the basics of the game to work. I expect my movement to work. I expect my basic mechanics to work. And I expect them to be flushed out to the point where it's not going to be a buggy mess. Because you've had time to release the base product to give to us. Now, one thing that personally helps me, and I can't speak for others in this, but what personally helps me, especially when I'm thinking about buying an early access game, 
and and giving my money to an independent developer, I love to see a roadmap. I love to hear about where you're wanting to take this in the future and have somewhat of a timeline as to what you're doing. It can be a rough estimate, absolutely. Two to four months, five to six years, whatever the case is, to see something into a direction in where you're going. When I don't see a roadmap, what I see are developers who are unsure as to where the game is going. They don't have a plan and they're winging it. When I see a roadmap, I see, hey, someone's actually put the time and effort to sit down and actually build a foundation. This game probably has good basic mechanics. I'm seeing a roadmap that has things that I would be interested in seeing in this game and we'll move on from there. And I think that's a fantastic way to start. And I think it's just good business practice because essentially, if you're wanting to use this system as a GoFundMe page, you need to tell your investors what you're planning on doing in the future. And you need to reach those points. Now, unfortunately for us, if we buy this and they fuck up the game later on, we're unfortunately not able to receive a refund for it. But that's fine. That's a risk that we've all decided to take when it comes to Steam and clicking the I accept your terms and regulations without reading any of it. Is to say that refunds are only limited to two hours of play and two weeks maximum. That's it. Anyway, so moving on from that. When we see a red thumb mark for the consumers out there putting a thumbs down, either create a small video explaining to why you think the game sucks or what needs to be improved in it if your writing skills aren't fantastic, or write out what you think's bad about it. Because this can all be really good in, in, in as far as actual like developments concerned. It can absolutely help the developers see what's really going on. Writing, this game sucks because graphics bad doesn't help anybody. Well, why are the graphics bad? Was it the shadows? Was it the, the models? Was it the animations? Like, what was it about the graphics that bothered you personally? And is this a consistent problem we're seeing within the review cycle? that's one thing that i pay attention to there may be one person out there because i'm the same way there's some games i just don't find aesthetically pleasing it doesn't mean it's a bad game it just means it's not the right game for me now if i decide to buy that knowing well that i'm not going to enjoy the graphics and turns out i don't like the game i'm going to make sure the graphics isn't one thing i mention or if i do mention it let them know that this is more of a personal preference for me but this is what i found out and if developers see a correlation of different negative reviews and certain things happening, like a specific bug or graphics issues or whatever the case may be in the negatives, they will apt to fix that, considering that's one of the main complaints as to why people don't want to play your game anymore. And I think a really massive thing that gamers appreciate, and you'd be surprised how many people actually read these, are the dev blogs. I find them extremely helpful in understanding where the developers are with their lives and everything else. Because as much as, sure, we paid $30 for a video game out of our pocket, let's say, for early access, doesn't take away the fact that these people also have lives and families of their own. They're also working on everything in little increments with separate teams doing different things, such as animation or, or art style or map design or voice acting or fucking list goes on. The whole thing is, is that sure, we've got a buggy disaster as a base game. That sucks. That's going to take a long time to fix. In the meantime, we're going to make some graphical upgrades because it's easier for the art team to do that. And they've already been implementing it and working on it for a long time. 
Does that mean that we don't understand that the bugs are there? Absolutely not. Does that mean we're not working on it? Absolutely not. We are. It's just going to take time. Please be patient and, you know, hold on. If you really don't like the game that much, wait for the next patch and give it another try. Also, another thing you should read, patch notes. They're absolutely helpful. They can give you a good array of things, and sometimes there's some funny shit in there you didn't even know was happening, but they've decided to include it anyway as a, you know, one singular bug of someone accidentally killing themselves by, you know, jumping on a specific rock at a specific spot, right? Very situational, but can be kind of amusing. But what I'm saying here is, is both as a consumer and as a developer, the reviews work extremely well. They can be helpful for both parties because it can give you, as a consumer, a good identification as to if this developer even gives a fuck about its community or as a developer, giving you an indication of whether or not you're just getting review bombed or people are genuinely not liking specific parts of your game and it's up to you to read through those, correlate what's wrong and attempt to fix it if you want a successful product, especially on things like Steam. And here's the whole thing. If you don't like the Steam reviews, too fucking bad. They're not going anywhere. And even if they weren't, even if they were to go anywhere, we still have YouTube. We still have websites. There are plenty of ways to get around the not liking the review thing. Not to mention, if you're one of these developers that are bitching about it publicly, you're going to get some backlash and people may boycott because I guess that's just kind of the era we're into. It's not necessarily something I would agree with. I mean, everyone's entitled to their personal opinion and it doesn't necessarily need to affect your business. But if you make it that way, well, that's, if that's a fucking you problem. <laughs> that's just all I can say about that. Anyway, um, when it comes down to it, it's a very, very helpful tool. And we need to be understanding of it being a very, very helpful tool. So that means as consumers, we need to be a little bit more elaborate with our negative reviews. We need to be less angry about things and a little bit more critical because it absolutely helps. But hey, if it's a AAA game, go to town, make your memes, do whatever the hell you want. But if it is an independent developer, please take an extra five minutes to write out why you disliked it and kind of give it to them. And this is coming from a non-developer. This is just coming from a human being that appreciates constructive feedback. So yeah, I don't know. That's really about all I have to say for this podcast. I mean, we're 45 minutes in. I've rambled on like fucking crazy, and I think it's a, a pretty good spot to end this. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm not very good at outros or intros for that matter, but uh, fuck it. Anyway, I've said my piece. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, stay happy, stay awesome, and we'll see you in episode three, which may be up in a week or six months from now. We'll find out, won't we, together? All right. Thank you very much for listening. Ya yeah, boy.